Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Chumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to Chumbacasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Ben McMahon, Ben McMahon, baddest dude in all the land. Texas blood as thick as mud, he's Ben McMahon. Ben McMahon, Ben McMahon, he's Ben McMahon. It's a big day here locally for jazz fans, for NBA fans. The NBA lottery is tonight, a 4.5% chance of everything changing instantly. Game one of the Western Conference Finals is also tonight. And uh, there's a lot of coaching news. Of course, Ja Morant. And our next guest is the guy to get to all of it, the great Tim McMahon on a Tuesday afternoon. Howdy, partner. How are we doing on a Tuesday? Howdy. How are you doing? I'm good, man. I'm good. So I'm going to ask you the same question I've been asking our NBA guests. If tonight the impossible happens and that 4.5% chance turns into the number one overall pick for the Utah Jazz – what does it mean for the team, Tim? What does it mean for our community? I mean, it means that the Jazz are going to have a chance to contend for a championship for a long, long time. I'm not sure about right away. I think that's probably putting too much on a kid who is still a teenager. But I, I think Vic's going to be an NBA player probably on his rookie contract. Uh, and, and, you know, I, I think that the arrival of Vic would also – like, I think suddenly the Jazz and, and Salt Lake City becomes an attractive market, potentially even uh, in free agency, a place where people are trying to get to play. And you've already got some really good pieces in place. I actually think that uh, despite the fact that they're both seven-footers, I think Dick would fit really well with Mark and, and Kessler. I think he can, you know, obviously he's a guy who has guard skills. I think he can play the four. Um, you know, and, and spend time at the five as well. That might even be the, the best case scenario for him uh, as he starts his NBA career. And, you know, it, it would also mean I'd be spending an awful lot of time in Salt Lake City. Yes, and that would be a win-win for all of us, and especially me, because when you come here, you know, you like to call me and hang out with me a lot, right? That's usually what happens. <laughs> Where are you today? Beer bar, back at beer bar, Tim. We got a we got a spot for you whenever you come into town. I was gonna say, if you invite me there, I think you can get me out. Brats, fries, burgers, fifty beers on tap. This, I mean, we might as well call it the Tim McMahon beer bar. This has your name written all over it. Listen, I, that sounds like a place I need to go see next time I'm in town. Absolutely, just hit me up. All right, um, I agree with you about the fit. Now, uh, I mean, I've I've watched as much as I can. I you know I read all of Gavoni's stuff. Windhorse with a great piece this week. 
Um, but it, it actually, it almost seems, I'm not going to say a perfect fit. You know, there are other teams that could utilize him well. But obviously Walker's a five, but Marketing's nuanced too. And he and, and Wembanyama as a combo, you know, three slash four, and that would give the Jazz tremendous size, Tim. I mean, one guy that can mm-hmm. really protect the rim and Walker Kessler, but if you, if you have a three, four hybrid that's really seven, five, yeah, that's where I was going. I mean, you know, you, you basically have two great rim protectors and marketing six ten six. Like, yes, I know that the size stands out, but I think the nuanced skill set for marketing and Wembanyama would actually complement each other pretty well. Yeah, and marketing has been playing more three than four for a few years now, and obviously right. the guy shoots the ball extremely well. Uh, this year, we saw his ability to score in a lot of different ways, um, but. You know, you look at Vic, Vic I, I, I don't necessarily know that you can say Vic is a center. I think he's a guy who can and will play a lot of center, but I also think he can and might play uh, a lot of, of, of the four. And look, four, three, like in today's NBA, what's the difference? Whatever. Um, but, I, you know, I think the biggest concern with playing him at center is there's going to be matchups where you really – would be like, you know, when you play in B, when you play with Jokic, there's going to be matches where you're going to be concerned with the physicality of that and pairing him with a guy like Walker Kessler really would minimize that. And, and again, like if you if you watch him play against the G League at night, you saw a game where the guy knocked down uh, seven threes from the NBA line. Obviously, he can shoot the ball. He puts it on the floor like Kevin Durant. And, you know, again, I, I, when, you, when you're like the – the comp and uh, you know Gavoni and Wendy's piece had a had a quote from one of his former teammates in France, you know, an American, who the the comp from him was a blend of Gobert, KD, and Dirk. <laughs> like you can figure out how to make you know how to make things fit with a guy like that. Yeah, yeah, no doubt. Like I said, he'll he'll fit in wherever. I I, I wonder. I, I mean, look, I I hear people talk about twenty eight percent from three. I hear, I hear people talk about durability. I don't know, man. Sometimes I feel like we just have to poke holes. Are, are there any red flags, Tim, that you're concerned about at all with this kid, or does it just feel generational really without a lot of concerns? I mean, certainly not the 28% from three, because I, I think it's pretty clear this guy was testing the limits of his game. You know, the, mm-hmm. the runner threes, they look great when they go in. Is that a shot that he needs to – uh, continue taking in the NBA. Yeah, you know, we'll, we'll see about that. Um, I, I, I think, though, you know, and talking to people around the league, talking to uh, people with the French national team when I was over in, uh, at Eurobasket over the summer, the, the one concern is durability. And, you know, that's just going, like, when guys that big, that's always going to be a concern, especially a guy who is uh, that tall and that lean. Um, you know, and, and I think that as far as his physical development, I think you look at Gobert. I mean, you remember Gobert when he came into the league, his rookie year, when he spent most of the time in the G League. He, he was long and skinny in a bean pole. And obviously he's really developed his body since then, but the goal is not, hey, let's pack on as much weight as you can. The goal is to, you know, really build core strength, you know, really build foundation um he is rep by Boone Njai who as you know is also Rudy Gobert's agent I think they will use and again they're 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 different prospects obviously this guy's got ball skills that that Rudy could only dream of but in terms of the physical development I think uh what the Jazz were able to do with Rudy really kind of provides a 
a roadmap and the physical development it's it's not a, just about adding strength really it's about maximizing this guy's chances to have a to have durability and to hopefully have a, a career that that's a 15 20 year career as the the guy that probably knows more about the inner workings of the jazz front office than any other media member we could have on tim i i wonder what you would say about and nobody knows this but your your what does your gut tell you about if the jazz land one and i know it's a long shot how, how does that change their approach immediately you know right after like tonight they get the number one pick they realize oh my gosh when banyama is a jazz man what are the next steps to make sure they're doing the right thing to surround him with everything they can to maximize his potential? Well, I think any team that lands Vic number one, then suddenly the focus of the franchise is how does this fit with him? How, you know, everything is viewed through the Vic prism at that point, right? Um, you know, in, in some ways, I think you're, you're looking at kind of fast-tracking things because you're going to have a chance to compete immediately, but it, there's a fine line there because you don't want to necessarily rush it, and you do want to you know, uh, allow him to, to grow and develop in a way that's going to maximize his long-term potential. Um, I, I would say that it is a problem that I am sure that Ryan Smith and Danny Ainge and Justin Zanuck and Will Hardy would love to have on their hands. Yeah, certainly, certainly. The high-class problems, no doubt. Um, one more thing on Wembanyama. You know, reading Windhorse piece, and then we were debating this last week because, you know, the last three MVPs are international players, and maybe f- for this mm-hmm. conversation, Embiid's not the greatest example because he didn't pick up the game until he was 15 or 16. Uh, but four of the five first-team All-NBA guys, international guys, Jokic should have been first-team you know, Doncic, Jokic, Embiid, Shea's not a domestic player. And when you look at, and I didn't know probably 70% of Wembanyama's uh, upbringing and background until I read Windhorse's piece, are, are there lessons to be learned here domestically about how some of these international prospects are brought up, trained, and taught to play with a tremendous amount of skill, even if you're freaking 7-5, you know what I mean? Yeah, and I, and I think that, you know, you've seen the uh, American system start to adapt there. I think that, you know, programs like Overtime Elite, like the G League Ignite, you know, the, that's kind of, you know, almost trying to create something similar to the academy programs uh, of the, you know, the, the big clubs in Europe. Um, you know, and look, like you go to AAU tournaments now, you're going to see big guys that are stepping out and shooting the ball. You're going to see big guys that are putting it on the floor. Um, so I, I think that process has started. Um, you know, there's still a lot of concerns with the AAU system just in terms of uh, the, the physical taxing that, that it's putting on these guys' bodies. Um, but as far as there being so many international players that have become stars in the NBA, I think part is also just a math problem. It's not like the, you know, it's a, it's a global game and it's not like America is, is, uh, you know, from a population standpoint, more than half of the world. So <laughs> it, it makes sense that there's going to be as many international stars as there are American stars. Yeah. Yeah. Some good, some good points there. It's just, it's, it's interesting um, to, to consider just how successful and, you know, I think a lot of people first noticed it with Dirk, who was insanely skilled for a player that size. All right, let's operate 
under the realm of reality now. And, you know, uh, we're trying to have some fun today, manifest, speak into existence, what the millennials do for things that they want. But the fact of the matter is it's most likely the Jazz will draft at either 9 or 10, Tim, as far as what the percentages say. Uh, what sort of prospect could be available for them should they land where they're most likely to land, which is late lottery? I mean, I, I will be really honest with you. I don't. I'm not a guy who spends a whole lot of time sure. researching the draft. Yeah, I don't watch yeah. much college basketball. You know, I watch March Madness. Um, I would say 90% or more of what I know about the draft is the same way that you do, and that's reading uh, Jonathan Cavoni's coverage and the coverage of people who really follow this year round. But, you know, generally at, at 10, like, hey, it, it depends. It's, it's hit or miss. Um, you can get like, you, you know, you, you look at, they got Donovan Mitchell at 13, um, but they got Dante Exum at five, right? Uh, you're, you're hoping to get a guy who can come in and, and be a good rotation player right away and, and develop into much more than that. But there's certainly no guarantees. Okay. Last thing on this, and then we'll move on to, um, some other things. Ja coaches, coaches being fired and actual basketball being played. Um, are, are, do you have any Intel about, you know, things like, Clarkson, Horton, Tucker, player option, Jazz decision with guarantees on like Olenek and other pieces, or just any sort of Jazz-related news for this offseason before we move on? I, you know, I'll be honest with you. I, I can kind of talk generally, but I have not checked in with Jazz folks on specifics recently. Like, sure. uh, I can tell you that there were, you know, there was a lot of excitement about Tanner Horton Tucker. I would anticipate that he will pick up uh, his option, and you know, obviously, he had an encouraging finish to the season. They feel like with their development program, with a full summer to work with him, you know, as you know, he he didn't have last off season with the Jazz. They feel like there's a lot of untapped potential, and you know, what exactly is he? I think they're still in the process of figuring that out, but there's some confidence that he's a player. Um, I would anticipate Clarkson opts out. You know, where exactly he lands, or whether he stays in Utah. I would just be guessing. And then, uh, you know, I, I think that uh, I, I highly doubt that the Jazz would just let a limit go. Uh, I, I think either he gets traded now or he's back on the roster. And, you know, at that point, he obviously the guy has proven he can contribute to the Jazz. Um, I, I think he could also have significant value if you're trying to put together a trade as a matching salary on an expiring deal. Okay, now now let's move on. I, I listened to you with Zach this week about Ja, and I thought it was his. I thought it was really good. I thought the two of you had as nuanced and uh, passionate discussion about it as anything I've I've heard. I mean, you know, with something like this right now, um, you know, gun culture and any conversation regarding a a weapon, there are heightened sensitivities because we're the only fully developed country in the world that seems to be okay with children being murdered in schools and such. So then it, it you know, it, it takes a bunch of different directions. And then we talk about legalities versus irresponsibilities. And, uh, you know, I've listened to a bunch. I've read a bunch. I, I'm a little bit stunned that we're here. You know him as well as any media member. You know this situation. What do you make of it? Where, where do we find ourselves? And what do you think the league ultimately does? Well, I, I think he's looking at a significant suspension to start next season. And look, by the law, I don't know if he was in Georgia, Tennessee, Alabama. By the laws of the states that he was in, the states that one of the, he was in one of those three states. Did he violate any laws? I don't believe so. Does not matter. He it was made very clear to him what the expectations were, 
to be, you know, to uh, when you know when he met with Adam Silver to be a face of the of the league, which is the the role that he has. Um, and he made promises, and he completely went back against his word by doing something that was incredibly idiotic, just to try to look cool on Instagram, which is it's pathetic, it's sad, it, it really is. Um, I expect Adam Silver, you know, who has bent over backwards trying not to come down too hard on Josh. We want to be real honest about it. Going back to all the incidents last summer, I think he's going to have to come down pretty hard to send a message. And, and the fact that the Grizzlies announced the suspension hours after these, this video came to light, you can say suspension from what? Like it's the off season, but just the symbolism of announcing he is suspended. That's a first for the Grizzlies. They never suspended him. They said he was going to be away from the team in March while awaiting uh, Adam Silver's ruling. So, you know, they're clearly fed up with it. They obviously feel betrayed. And, and look, it's not just the Grizzlies. It's not just the NBA office. People around the league are really, you know, perturbed about this. Uh, you know, agents, players, other franchises. Because this doesn't just make Ja look bad. It makes the whole league look bad. It makes other guys who are trying to, you know, who are doing the right things, who are, you know, conducting themselves as responsible adults and, you know, upstanding members of communities, you know, look like fools by association. It, 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 it puts a blemish on the reputation of an, of an entire league. And, uh, you know, people are fed up with it, and I think he's going to have to deal with the repercussions of that. So, excuse me, as you pointed out on Zach's pod, the low post, you know, because a lot of people will say, well, take away game checks, dock some salary, you know, make him feel it in his pocketbook. The fact of the matter is he's already felt it, right? 670 grand lost in game checks. Uh, I believe the number you referenced was 39 mil in lost potential Mm -hmm. because of no all NBA. And then, Tim, if Adam decides to go with longer than a 20-25 game suspension, because of the next year's 65-game minimum to make All-NBA, he'll miss out on it again. Uh, unpack these financial repercussions, and, and then attending to the question, uh, if it's not going to be the pocketbook, what do you think maybe could actually turn the light bulb on to help him understand that he literally has the world at his fingertips if he does some pretty basic things? I mean, he has expressed understanding of that, and then this still happened. But honestly, yeah. when I saw that he was promoting cl- uh, parties, at Atlanta clubs a weekend after getting bounced from the playoffs and saying, you know, essentially that he had to clean stuff up off the court. I was concerned at that point. I'm like, you know, you say one thing and then that's not following up under words, you know, nothing illegal about it. You know, he has the right to do it, but it's just like, that's not the scene that he needs to be uh, living in right now, given everything that's happened. And so what's it going to take for him to get it? I don't know. I, Trust me, the Grizzlies are trying to figure that out, hoping they can figure that out. Um, I, I'm not going to sit here and tell you it'll take X, Y, and Z because <laughs> he's already had serious repercussions. I mean, he got summoned to the commissioner's office. He got suspended for eight games. You know, he got a $39 million financial hit, plus putting his endorsement deals in serious jeopardy. I mean, I I think Nike's going to probably end up pulling the plug on him. They're trying to market Ja and his family, you know, to, to, to middle school kids, to elementary school kids. How can you do that when he's doing all this ridiculously dumb stuff? Um, and then that, and that's what he's becoming known for. It's just, I don't understand it. 
I would I would love for the light bulb to really come on because nobody wants to see John Morant screw up his career. Nobody, I mean, he's one of the most exciting, fun players to watch that we've ever had in the league. But he seems determined just to, you know, blow things and uh, screw up what should be a Hall of Fame career. So there is the crowd that says, you, you know, you need new playmates in the sandbox, buddy. You got to get rid of this group of guys around you. And I, I think I used to be more on that side but until I heard Allen Iverson interviewed about his friends from Newport News and how much they meant to him. And even though he knew that there was some risk involved and certainly some tangible effects on AI's career, you know, he wasn't going to move away from his group who was a part of his life since he was a kid and who had his back and he relied on it. But, but ultimately it does feel like, and I don't know, this is why I'm asking, it does feel like this Devontae Pack character seems to be pretty present know. whenever Ja gets in trouble. So who is he and what are your thoughts on this relationship? Well, he's his best friend. He's the guy who, when Ja's beating up a high school kid in his backyard during a pickup game, jumps in and beats him up with him. He's the guy who steps on the court and acts like he's going to fight the Pacers and then is involved in that whole post-game confrontation. He's the guy who, aside from shotgun willies in Denver, pretty much every time Jaw's been in trouble, his, his boy D-Tap, Devontae Pack, has been right there with him. You know, this is his Instagram Live. He's the guy who is living with Jaw, mooching with Jaw, living an NBA superstar lifestyle and screwing up Jaw's chance to, to have an NBA superstar career. So, I'm sorry. I am of the opinion. He's got to go. You want to be loyal to him? You can be loyal to him and not have him by your side. Every single day, hey, you need to you need to buy him a place to live in South Carolina. Great, do what you got to do. You know, if, if if you feel you owe him that, I'm not you know nothing wrong with that. But clearly, this guy is is part of the problem. I'm not saying getting rid of him is the solution, but he is part of the problem. You know, oftentimes a lot of these players are not just um, cash cows for family members and friends, but a lot of these people are literally employed. I mean, you do become a CEO when you have hundreds of millions of dollars at your disposal and then also future earnings as well. Is is Devontae Pack like officially on the payroll? Do you have any details in, in that direction? I, I don't know if he's officially on the payroll, but I do know that he's living like an NBA superstar. I do know that he lives with Ja, that he's flying private with T. Moran usually from city to city to, to watch Ja to sit courtside and watch Ja uh, playing games and to go out to the clubs and to, you know, to, to, to live that life. Uh, whether there's some kind of official job title there, I don't know. You know, he has his clothing brand, his MBNO which is the same thing Jaws got tattooed on his stomach. means my brother's no others. Um, so why do I know about that? Because Jaws heavily promotes it. So I guess that might be, you know, the guy's official job title. Um, but again, it's, it's living off of Jaws' fame and celebrity. Okay, one more thing on this, then we'll move on. If, if you're Taylor Jenkins, if you're Rich Kleiman, you know, if, if you're involved in some of this, excuse me, not Rich Kleiman, Zach, the, who's the GM of Memphis? <laughs> Zach Kleiman. Zach Kleiman. Rich is no, Rich, my, Rich my bad. KD's business partner slash agent. But you, I, yeah. I know what you mean. Yeah, yeah. So if you're, if you're Kleiman, if you're Jenkins, and, and you know the organization, is, is there any sort of conversation it sounds like, do we kick the tires on trying to move on if this kid can't get it right? Are, are we close to that breaking point, Tim? I don't think so, just because, like, God, could you imagine trading John Morant right now? 
yeah, yeah. You're getting yeah. pennies on the dollar. And and look, the Memphis Grizzlies have been around for a while, and they've had exactly one guy who's this caliber of star. They've had some really good players, but Zach Randolph was not this caliber of superstar. Mark Gasol, Mike Conley, um, you know, I mean, Desmond Bain's a heck of a player. None of these guys are potential MVP type of players. John Morant is that kind of a talent. When you get that kind of a talent, I think you have to exhaust every possibility of making a work of maximizing. And, and the thing is, when he's on the court, like I'm not saying he's a perfect player. There's, you know, there's flaws there as well. But when he's on the court, when he's in the facility, this dude has had a phenomenal first four years of his career. But man, it's just like he seems determined to figure out ways to, to, to throw away his potential. All right, moving over now. We have four of the past five Coach of the Year winners now unemployed. Um, you know, we heard the news about Doc today, but I did want to ask you about Monty where, you know, the news came down initially that it was Ishbia who made the call at, right after the loss to Denver. And then there was a story today which kind of feels like spin to me that it was an organizational decision involving Devin Booker and Kevin Durant. I, I mean, I'm a Monty fan, so I, I have a hard time believing his players weren't necessarily into it because he does seem like a guy that's liked and respected by his players. But what, what's your reaction to this situation, and who do you think gets that gig in Phoenix next? I'll be honest with you. I did not see that story. Um, I would say, were, you know, were they informed, consulted? Sure. This was a Matt Ishbia decision, though. Yeah, and yeah. the word has been out since pretty soon after Ishbia purchased the team that Monty was probably in trouble unless they went on a deep run and potentially a, a championship run. Um you know, I, I think they want Ty Lue. I also don't see any way that happens. He's under contract for the Clippers. The Clippers want him to continue to be their coach. <laughs> you know, even if the Suns wanted to uh, trade for him, they don't have any picks that they can trade. I just don't see any path towards that being a realistic possibility. So I'd be, you know, I, I just can't imagine that Steve Ballmer would be willing to basically uh, donate a coach to a team that's, not only in his conference, in his division, and in his arrival. Um, so I think they're going to have a pretty wide net as far as their search goes. Um, obviously, you know the championship coaches that are out there. I think there will be discussions with all those. Um, clearly, Devin Booker and Kevin Durant's opinion will weigh heavily on whatever decision is made. Um, and I would not underestimate Kevin Young, the associate head coach in Phoenix, as a legitimate candidate. I, I you know... I can tell you that Devin Booker likes him, respects him, and, and thinks he has big-time head coaching potential. So, uh, you know, I, I think he's got as, as good a chance as anybody. All right, before I set you loose, let's move over to games that are actually still being played as the Western Conference Finals gets rolling tonight, Tim. Uh, who do you like? Who do you like in the series, Denver, L.A., and why? I mean, I like the Nuggets. I think it's going to be a great series. Obviously, the Joker A.D., matchup is going to be spectacular theater, but I just think the Nuggets wire to wire have been the best team in the Western Conference. Joker right now is, is playing at a level that, you know, he's pretty clearly been the best player in the league uh, during these playoffs. I think they've surrounded him with great pieces. They have the advantage of continuity. You know, betting against LeBron in the Conference Finals historically has not been a very smart move, but uh, I just feel like right now this is this is Joker's time. 
Um, and then I think the Celtics, I believe Vegas agrees with this, are, are the favorites uh, to win the whole thing. Um, look, Jimmy's not going to make it easy, but I, I do think the Celtics win that in like six games. All right, my man. Well, I appreciate the time. Uh, we'll be crossing our fingers for, for some lottery luck tonight. Have a great week, and we'll chat soon, buddy. Be good, okay? I appreciate it, brother. Tim McMahon covers the NBA for ESPN. Uh, get him on Twitter, at ESPN underscore McMahon. He has a new YouTube show this season called Howdy Partners, 30 episodes in. So we always ask you to try to support our guests if you have the ability to do so.